Welcome to the NICU Today podcast, a podcast to give families a new point of support as they navigate the NICU journey. Thank you for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe wherever you enjoy your podcast and share this episode with anyone who might find it helpful. The dad's experience in the NICU is unique. Today's guest will share his family's journey with their premature son, lessons he's learned, advice for other dads, and how he's making a difference today. Adam Wood is a retired U.S. Army veteran, NICU dad, and published author who has written three children's books about prematurity and the NICU. He is also the founder of Premie Adventures, a website and social media platform connecting families across the world with resources and support systems. Welcome, Adam. It's great to see you again. Thanks for having me on, Martha. It's great to be on. Thank you. Yes, it's been a while since we last connected. Oh, it's it's been forever. We've both been so engaged in different projects and different things, but it's it's great to see all the things that you're doing. And congratulations on your on your new office and, and your new settings for today is a good day. It looks great. Oh, thanks so much. Well, I, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I, tell us about your family story. Uh, so our family story is pretty unique, but again, it's very similar to a lot of the, our NICU families. Um, my uh, wife, Jen, uh, and I went through IVF uh, six years ago um, as part of a process to um, help see if we can bring our son into the world. We had a lot of problems with uh, conception, and we also wanted to see if we could help avoid our son getting polycystic kidney disease, which is a, a kidney disease that my wife has, her mother-in-law has. Uh, and part of the IVF process, potentially, when we lo- were looking at that, was an, a way to alleviate that. Because about 50% of the eggs um, have polycystic kidney disease, so not all of the eggs. So we were looking at as an opportunity as well to potentially not pass that on, um, because that has a lot of issues for, for long term. Eventually, everyone needs a transplant. Eventually, um, you're on all kinds of medication, high blood pressure, and obviously that leads to things like preeclampsia, which uh, I'll certainly allude to. Um, but my wife and I, you know, went through the process. We had um, five um, IVF treatments. Um, we went through that process, and unfortunately, we had five losses in, in each one of those. Um, as we were getting ready to really think about what are those next steps with our family, and do we want to continue to move forward? Um, do we want to exercise other things like adoption? Um, we gave it one last shot. Um, and for anybody that's been through IVF, it's an extremely grueling, emotional, and heartbreaking journey. Um, not only is, is mom going through the physical pain, the emotional pain with the injections and the shots and all of the follow-ups and the ups and downs that that is, because it's really not guaranteed to take every single time, um, you know, you're having to grieve those losses and then having to try to start all over again. Uh, so at the sixth time, we kind of decided that that was going to be our last opportunity. Um, and we we certainly prayed upon it. And we had gone through so much in this process. It was such an emotional roller coaster. Uh, and we decided that as a family that this was going to be our last opportunity. Um, as he progressed, you know, everything was kind of tracking on the first 10 weeks, 12 weeks, 13 weeks. And then we started to see IUGR, which is in utero growth restriction. Um, and that was kind of our first little inkling of what was to come with our son and the battles kind of going forward with that. Uh, and that was very hard for us to understand that. And I just want to ask you, I mean, what were you going through at that time as a dad trying to support your wife through this process? What emotions did you have? And, and you know, what were you facing at that time? 
I mean, it was heartbreaking because we had gone through so much. My wife had wanted to be a mom all her life. I mean, when one of the reasons that we were, we got married and one of the reasons I, I fell in love with her is she wanted to be a mom. She had a wonderful mom. Uh, she had all the attributes of somebody who was loving, um, who somebody would care for, somebody would teach and all those things that I saw in her. And it, it broke my heart to know that she may not have that opportunity. We may not have that opportunity. Um, for me, it was hard. But it was something that I, I also understood that they, that may not be in the cards. And I think for me, it was a little easier for her. It was devastating. So to know that we had gone through so much and we had put our heart and soul into this last opportunity. And now we're starting to see after being so excited, finding out we're having a boy and find out that, you know, that journey may end sooner than we thought. It's so hard to have that ripped away when you've had so many opportunities where it's gone one or two weeks and then doesn't take. And then you're now on week 12 and now you're being told that your, your son or daughter is, is tracking so bit far behind. It's, it's hard because you can't fix it as a, as a husband and a partner, you can't fix that. You can't take that away. Um, you can't wave a magic wand. And that's part of being a, a support system for your spouses. You want to take away that pain. You want to shelter them as much as they can. And, and they do the same thing for you when that, that opportunity arises. And it was hard for me not to do that, not have the words to communicate to her what that was, because I think a lot of women, um, they define themselves by certain roles, by being able to be a mom, by being able to have kids. And that's not necessarily what makes you a, a, a good person or a human being or anything. But I think for sometimes when they're unable to do that, they blame themselves, even though there are so many factors that are beyond their control. And, you know, for me, it was just trying to find a way to support her through that process and understand that I loved her and I cared for her. And that's all I wanted for her was to be happy. And it's hard because you can't fix that. And how did the rest of the pregnancy progress then? So the pregnancies kind of started to move along a little bit better. We made um, leaps and bounds, but uh, probably about 20, 21 weeks, uh, my wife was admitted to the ICU here in Connecticut, or she spent a week in there with high blood pressure. Now for a lot of people, um, we experience high blood pressure through preeclampsia. So a lot of families go through that experience. My wife already uh, being a, an individual with kidney disease and already has high blood pressure. So for her, her baseline is a little bit higher than the average person. So when you start to see those numbers climb up and there were times I'd walk into the room and her blood pressure would be in the 200s and she seems perfectly fine. Um, and it was hard because we're also having to monitor her for her safety and our son. And at the same time, I'm wondering, am I going to have to lose one or the other or both as a result of all this? And the doctors are coming to you and saying, we may have to make some hard decisions very soon. And that's a hard ask to say, you know, give up your, your baby's life or your life and, or mm -hmm. put yourself at risk. And I know it's a hard decision for all families that have to go through that. Um, and it's unfortunate that they have to do that, but there are, you know, whatever that decision is, it's, that's their own decision. And you have to respect that, whatever it may be. I've had people that have said it was very hard. Um, some people have said it was, it was a little bit easier, but I think there's always that loss there. Um, and that what could have been, and you get into that panic. And I think that's what happened with Jen. Um, so for us, we monitored for about a week and we were discharged out and then we continued to monitor and monitor he still continued to track behind. Um, every appointment was a dagger. And at 
uh, 24 weeks, um, we were admitted to the hospital after we had got done our final one of our final checkups and the doctor had come in and said, you know, we we think your son isn't going to develop. We think it's time to look at potential, you know, aborting the, your son. And at that point, it just put my wife into a complete panic mode and really caused her to be admitted to the hospital as a result because of everything was coming down, all of our dreams, all of our aspirations. And then once again, a doctor saying, you might want to look about other options and, and mm-hmm. ending his life. And that's so difficult to do again in, in back-to-back weeks, really talking about that. Um, we were in the hospital uh, for about five or six days before at 25 weeks on the dot. Uh, my wife, I walked in and my wife said, you're going to be a dad today. And I was really excited, but also extremely scared. Mm-hmm. And how, uh, how did that feel for you? I mean, and, you know, hearing you, I have to, I have to say, Adam, hearing you talk so vividly about this, because how old is your son now? He's five. Five. So when you think back five years and how vividly those memories are coming back to you and how you can recall just every moment, we talk about it a lot, right? The NICU stays with all of us. This experience stays with all of us forever that we can go back to it so vividly. I mean, we're almost 13 years out of the NICU and I can still remember almost every moment, if not every moment. So it certainly never leaves you. But the day that he arrived, what, what did that look like for you? Again, it was the happiest and scariest moment in my entire life because it felt like an out-of-body experience, to be honest with you, because you're having to all of a sudden get rushed down to the delivery room, and it's not what you expected. Uh, and for if you've never been exposed to prematurity or the NICU, you have no clue that a child mm-hmm. at 25 weeks can survive. And when you think about it, that's an entire trimester that your child is supposed to go through, develop. And all those ancillary pieces at the, at, at the last trimester, the weight gain and all the development, the lungs and all those important pieces um, are still left to be developed. And you're thinking, what is this going to look like for me? Is this going to be the best day or the, or the worst day of my life? You know, you don't know what to expect. And you also, as a dad and as a husband, you cannot protect your partner. Again, it's, it's the hopelessness of not being able to protect them not being able to take the pain away, not being able to hook yourself up and switch places with them and allow yourself to take on the physical and the emotional. And that's like sometimes we really want to do and we can't because, you know, as as husbands and as men and and dads, that's part of what we're supposed to do is protect our family and and to shield them from harm in any way we can. And you can't do that in, in the NICU sometimes especially in in those first few days, those first few weeks, the helplessness kind of feels in. It's like, I can't do anything. I can't will myself in any capacity to help them. Um, But when our son was delivered, um, you know, we didn't see, you know, it was a C-section. We didn't see anything that was happening on. And we're, as they're delivering him, we're expecting to hear the voice. You're trained by everything in the world, every movie, every show that you hear the baby cry, the doctors say it's a boy or it's a girl and congratulations and everyone's happy. And it's not that you hear nothing. It's a pin drop. And all you can go to is the worst possible situations. As as much as you're praying and trying to remain positive, it's so hard. 
And the nurse said, he's cute. He's got a little butt nose and we're going to get him off and went into the next room. And, um, you know, and then at that point, it was it was one of the hardest decisions that I had to make because my wife was there. She was getting sewn up and attended to. And the doctor came over to me and said, do you want to see your son? And again, a very unique situation that men don't get to go through very often, except for the NICU, is seeing your child first. Mom almost always is delivered right into the baby's arms, embracing that. And here you're going from behind a curtain, not being able to be seen. And now dad gets to be the first one and maybe the only one. And I think part of me was, do I go there and see him? And if he doesn't make it before she gets to see him, once again, she has been robbed of so much. Her baby showers, her cravings, all the things that you look forward to in pregnancy in the loss that we had prior to that. So again, I was not trying to, but I was potentially going to rob her of something unique and special by being there. And she just looked at me and said, go. And I walked in and I just saw a team of doctors and nurses attending to him in this little bag and putting him in here and they're hand pumping his lungs um, one breath at a time as they get him in there. And I looked at him and said, okay, he's a baby. He's, he's real. He's not, you know, missing anything. He's, he's got all of his limbs and all of the stuff and you really can't see much, but it was very emotional to see that. Um, and then to, to have them rushed off again into the NICU. And then that experience continues because now as the, as the husband and the father, your wife is recovering and Jen was recovering and I'm having to go down and, and get all the information. I'm having to see all the wires for the first time. I'm having to talk with the nurses and the doctors and trying to process all of that all at once and then having to relay that to your spouse. And mm -hmm. you have to be, and I've told this a dozen times, you almost put a poker face on. I practiced as I went upstairs in the, in the mirror, in the elevator. I remember looking in the elevator and saying, okay, this is how you're going to deliver it. Try to remain positive. Mm -hmm. breathe, relax, don't overwhelm, but like come away with some good things to share with her because she's imagining everything in her head. She's had nothing to look at for now several hours. So going up there, talking with her and, and, you know, you deliver that. And do you feel like you, you tried to keep that positive outlook through your entire NICU journey? Definitely. I, I tried to remain as positive as possible, but I also tried to be as honest with my, my wife about what I was feeling and encourage her the same. I think that's mm -hmm. an important piece is that sometimes men or women like to remain stoic, like to keep their feelings to themselves because they don't want to burden or worry the other person. And I think sometimes it's important to share and be honest and say, listen, I'm having a day of doubt. I'm having a day of hurt. I'm having a day of, um, you know, pity, whatever the emotion is that you're feeling. And I think it's important to be able to communicate that to your spouse because they're probably feeling that too. And they're feeling guilty about that. But if you can sit down and I think one of the things we did was we would sit down in the cafeteria day after day and say five minutes, let it out, whatever you're feeling, no judgment. And she would say, mm -hmm. I don't think he's going to make idea. it. Yeah. I, you know, she would say everything on her mind, I would get it off. And often it was the same thing. And then we were, we got it off our chest and we went back to focus on him. So 
uh, for some people, they feel like, you know, that's a good method and other people, they keep it in. And I think the longer you keep it in, it also, um, it manifests when you have your interaction with your child because they can sense all that. So when you're doing skin to skin, uh, when you're holding, you're caring, they can feel those emotions that are coming off. So I think it's important for you to be able to find a way to, to take those negative emotions off and provide more positive ones for them because I do believe it does affect them. I do think it was such a great point that you were talking about of just taking that chunk of time and just getting all those emotions, all those feelings, negative feelings, fears, everything that's going on just in a period of time and then resetting, right? And going back right. back to the bedside and and having that positive thought. So what was your biggest struggle when you were in the NICU, do you think, when you reflect back? Oh, well, as far as health-wise, you know, for our son, it was the respiratory challenges, the ups and downs with that and having our son back and forth. Um, and I think that part of that for me was the highs and lows, uh, reliving those things every single day. Um, when you have, especially in the very beginning, when you have a very sick or small child being born, you're reliving the, the ups and downs every single day and communicating that to friends and family that are in that. And it could be very emotional roller coaster with that. And when the highs are great, it's great to share all the news. But when the lows are lows, it's hard to share that with everybody in the world. And although we kept our circle small, you have a lot of people reaching out and, and asking about it. And you're having to relive like the worst day so far every single mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for us, it was hard to see our son coming in every single day and you walk in, and you don't know what to expect and you see they're on oscillator and the next day the ventilator, then they're back on CPAP and then their, you know, their peep setting goes up and down. And, and even in within an, a few hours of being there, you know, walking out, going to get a coffee and coming back, everything changes so significantly from moment to moment. And, and, you know, as you say, you know, you, it's, you just take one day at a time, but in the NIC, you have to learn how to take one second sometimes at a time, yeah, one absolutely. minute at a time. Because yes, for sure. so much can happen in that period. And that's hard if you're not used to that. Like if you, I don't think there's a way to train yourself to get used to that. But I think that was a hard struggle for me to deal with that. Um, and I think, you know, certainly it was one of those things that um, I learned to overcome over time. Um, I also learned that the NICU is is a very different experience and it's almost like somebody who's training for um, a race. You're, you're training for a 200 meter race and you're going to sprint and you're running and running and running. And then all of a sudden, halfway through, they now say, well, the race is not going to be 30 miles. So now you've expended in that first initial phase, that's first week or two weeks for us all that energy. So now you have to take what remaining energy you have left and pace it out over a much longer journey. And for us, I think for a lot of people in the NICU, you start to realize that it's not just in and out, it is a marathon and it can be a very long marathon. It could be a very short marathon, but it physically takes a toll on you and your body's not Definitely. used to that. And the emotional toll, I think wipes you out 10 times more um, I was more exhausted in the first four weeks in the NICU than at any point in my life, at anything I'd ever done. And even in the military, I, there's no way to recharge that. And um, I think for me, you know, we had to find ways to kind of balance that a little bit more. But 
it is such a marathon and it's not what you expect and, and you can't prepare yourself for that. So I think that was a big struggle as well. And when you reflect back, what is something you know now that you wish you had known then when you look back at your NICU journey? Well, I wish that I had known more about what preemies were and prematurity. Um, had I known then in the very beginning, the, the amazing outcomes that could be, I think it made it a lot easier. Um, I wish that I had had organizations like today is a good day in my NICU to help with that and provide those resources. Unfortunately, we didn't have that. You know, that's one of the reasons why I do what I do now is because I look at it from that perspective of day one, dad, what am I looking for? Resources, answers, but I'm also looking for mm -hmm. hope. Can a child that at 25 weeks, 23 weeks, 22 weeks, 24 weeks survive? Can a child with HIE survive? Can a child with it, all of that? And I think that's why it's so important and why I focus so much now on talking, doing podcasts, advocacy, um, sharing people's stories on, on social media, um, sharing them just in general, because I think it's good to have that hope there. And hopefully that day one person comes across that you know, story, that, that interview, that link and says, wow, I have hope now that I didn't have before. And I think that's, I wish that I had known more about this because I would have been able to pace myself and understand that there is opportunity and there is a happy ending attainable. In the beginning, I just, I couldn't see it. I just mm -hmm. saw what was in front of me and it just it consumed me. So I think if I had that knowledge in the beginning, it would, I'd be much better off. I would be more hopeful. I'd be more uh, able to be involved in the very beginning, which, which I knew was so crucial versus so, um, so disconnected, disjointed and unsure of myself. And why was focusing on the dad's experience so important to the work you're doing now? I think it's important for a number of reasons. One, I, I think it's important for dads to understand that you have a place in the NICU. You have a place in your child's development and journey. You have a place in their care and being a part of that. And I think all too often, we as men in general step back and allow mom to be the primary and to be the one that makes the decisions and to be the one that has all that. But I think it's important for men to have their voice heard in and out of the NICU uh, and to be encouraged to be involved. I, I think it's important as a dad in general, not just in the NICU, but I think it's important to have them understand that you matter. You are an important piece of the puzzle and that you can do so many things to help your child throughout the journey that you don't even realize. And I think a lot of dads just stand back and support mom and you know go home and take care of maybe the other kids. But I would encourage them more to be involved, get involved, be on rounds, be an advocate, figure out how your skill set as a person can benefit your child because I, you mm -hmm. feel so helpless. But sometimes you're very analytical. Sometimes somebody is very um, has a empathetic. Some there's different things that you can do to help your child in that process in the NICU and post NICU. And I want them to be able to go ahead and fight with mom, like, no, I'm going to do skin to skin today. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to read to my child and to understand that you have a lasting impact. And I think more men need to do that. And I think that that carries on in that process in the NICU into their professional and personal life. The things that you learn there 
the empathy that you learn there, the impact you realize you have, because there it's a, you're in a unique, unique situation. You can literally hold your child on your chest and look at a monitor and see the impact as their, as their stats rise up and you're talking to them and you're singing to them and say, wow, I didn't realize how much I have an impact. And mm -hmm. then you talk to other dads out and like, I literally saw the data of how this child developed and grew when I read to them stories to them. I mean, I don't know how many times I would read Brady, anything, mm -hmm. pamphlets, you know, charts, whatever. And so my voice was almost gone because he'd love hearing the sound of my voice. And I think that it's important for dads to, to find a, an opportunity in this space to support each other and to talk with each other. Even if it's just talking to another dad and saying, I understand what you're going through because a lot of them are dealing with how do I help my spouse? How do I help my, my partner? How do I help my child? How do I juggle the work-life balance, the guilt, all of those things? And it's important for dads to be able to communicate and hear other dads talk about that and say, mm -hmm. you're not alone. It's hard. It's a struggle to balance working and the guilt that you have because you have to provide for your family. Maybe mom's able to you know, stay um, out of work, but you have to be there because you're the primary for insurance or just because you have so many other kids at home, well, dad typically is probably going to stay home with them and not be able to be there. And I think there's a lot of guilt in that. But I think if we talk more about it and dads are um, have support groups, understand that what's out there for them, they're able to improve their, their home life, improve their um, communication with their spouse, be honest with them and, and to be more vulnerable. And I think it's okay for them to be vulnerable. And that's not something that guys are typically very good at. We're not good at being vulnerable and sharing our feelings. But my hope is that they continue to do that. Um, they continue to share with others and to have that voice in the community. And and hopefully we'll have more support systems in hospitals that target both mom and dad mm -hmm. so that they can get you know to the finish line and have the energy um, to be recharged and replenished and to get home and, and to continue that experience there. Yeah, and we, we saw that that dad's experience. As you know, my husband, Paul, started a dad's group over COVID mm -hmm. and been meeting monthly and is really great. We've had dads like you, Adam, have joined and yeah. you have your own dad's group through Premium Adventures to help get dads together. But tell us a little bit about your work with Premium Adventures and your book series, all that good work you're doing. Well, Premium Ventures originally started uh, back in 2020 as just a social media site on Instagram and Facebook um, as an outlet for me to kind of just communicate what I was doing, our journey with Brady and what was going on with that. And it kind of progressed a little bit more into um, not only humor and, and sharing in the experiences that we have together and the funny things that we think about and coming people bonding over those shared experiences and more and more people became engaged. And uh, then I started to share, you know, their stories doing um, lives. And I thought it was important not only to share mine, but like other stories that are out there. Uh, and I think it's very cathartic for moms and dads to be able to go on and on those platforms and even share with complete strangers. And it's been great to see so many join those and to hear the stories and say, wow, I was ex experiencing that the same thing and to encourage each other. And it's wonderful to see that. Uh, and then it kind of gravitated to, um, a website. So the website, you know, really focuses more on the resource piece of it. It's about connecting people with organizations like Today is a Good Day, podcasts, books, resources everywhere. We've got 
resources here in the United States, in the UK, in Australia. It's allowed me to find a variety of people. Whenever I meet somebody in this space on any platform or I, I meet them, I add it there because I just remember what it was like for me to try to find those resources. And maybe they come across Premium Adventures and then they find today is a good day. And they say, wow, this is right in our backyard. And this is a way for us to get support or a podcast that they listen to that's dedicated to the dads. You know, um, a good friend of mine, uh, Alex, the NICU dad, he's done a number of those and he works on that as well. Maybe they find the dads group that's on there that they weren't aware of. And I think for that, it's about connecting them with those resources and continuing to, to pay it forward. And it's not just about, you know, what I provide and what I'm offering. It's about what others are offering and give them a voice. Uh, and then that eventually kind of morphed into the idea of writing a book. And in when I was in the NICU, I remember just seeing that there were great books out there, but there just wasn't a book that I connected with in the same way. Mm -hmm. And when the pandemic happened, a lot of us started to do different things. So I researched and I looked at things and I had a lot of feedback from social media where people really appreciated certain things that we had shared and created and said, what if I create a book that celebrates the milestones that we go through, that we went through as a dedication to my son, the people that helped change his life and for other families as well. So um, I self-published, self-financed, found a wonderful illustrator um, and was able to release our premium adventure uh, in 2021. And it, a lot of people reached out and had very positive feedback, not only reviews and, and social media. So shortly after the book was released, um, Dr. Prem Fort, also known as the NICU doc on social media, reached out to me, uh, said he loved the book. He had picked up the book. We did a live together and kind of talked about the different things in the book and what he liked about it. Um, and then he reached out to me kind of separately and said, what are your ideas about collaborating, doing a book together? And, um, you know, he loved educating. I love, you know, bringing humor and bringing the parents perspective to the books. And, you know, we started to kind of collaborate and write some ideas. Um, the big part about the, the book that I appreciated was that it allowed us to see each other's perspective. So we wrote our respiratory venture, a NICU story, which basically tackles all of the different machines that we use, all the different treatments helps parents understand. So not only is it providing the story of how I and parents see the NICU and those experiences when we see the oscillator and they have, we're exposed to like caffeine and why do we have steroids mm -hmm. and why do we use this machine? Um, it's how I saw it. And it's also him in layman's terms, educating parents on this is why we give your child caffeine or this is why we do this or letting them know that it's okay to have setbacks. You're going to have those from time to time and that they just need a little extra time. And it was wonderful because it's the first and only that I know of opportunity where a neonatologist and a parent collaborated and provided two different perspectives. And he learned from me as much as I learned from him. And he allowed, he, he as we were writing the book, he said, is that how parents really see the NICU or see this mm -hmm. and feel? And I said, yeah. As I checked, you know, our social media, check the accounts and all the parents, this is what they feel and this is what they see. And I think he was like, I never thought of it from that perspective. So I think it's a great way for doctors and nurses to also understand how we view these things when you expose them to us for the first time. Right. Um, and we wrote that. And we also wrote uh, a NICU Christmas adventure, which follows three children all over the world who write to Santa um, to have their brother or sister um, brought home from the hospital oh. because they're sick in the NICU. So um, mm -hmm. it was, I wanted to do something like that. And so 
you know, our goal going forward is to continue to write more books, uh, both educational um, and fun books for families at different stages in their journey, and to have a, a platform in which we can not only showcase what, you know, I've done and what we've done, but what other parents are doing as well, because there are so many wonderful authors now coming out that are creating wonderful books from various different perspectives. And I think it's great to see that, that families now have an entire library that they didn't have mm -hmm. a few years ago that they can call their own. Um, and the books really are also for as much the parents as they are for the children. And I, I wrote them very similar to saying the parents can appreciate this the most in the beginning when they need it. And then the child's going to grow and they're going to see it and it's not going to be scary and they can laugh. And mm -hmm. now it's for the child. And it's also for the mom and dad who can now reflect back and look at it in a positive way. And that's what I've always tried to keep with all the books is it be a positive, a good message, um, educational where it can be and, and a resource for them. And I just want to remind our audience today that we are speaking with Adam Wood, Nick Udad, author, founder of Premi Adventures. So excited to be hearing all that you're doing. Where can people find your books, Adam? Well, they can find all the books on Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble, pretty much wherever books are sold online. Uh, they can also go to premiadventures.com, where I have links to not only our book, uh, but as I said, dozens and dozens of resources, other books as well, so they can support other authors that are out there that are providing voices uh, for the community, people that have uh, children with trachs, as an example, or other things, um, special needs. There's also wonderful books on there that we've added, ones that have been written by nurses and other dads as well. Um, so it's a great resource there for them. And how's your son doing today? He is wonderful. Uh, he is the love of my life as he always is. Um, he is a bit more of a challenge at five than he was before, but it's wonderful to see how far he's come from where he started. And you look back and you think back to like the hardest day of your life and those ups and downs and wondering if you're not going to make it. And now you're sitting here five years later and you're living your best life and you're living exactly what you hoped it would be. And I'm thankful because every day I get a chance to spend with him is a blessing. I never thought I'd get it. So I try to appreciate it as much as humanly possible. And I try to pay it forward as much as humanly possible, because again, you don't always get those opportunities to, to have your journey be a happy one and be able to, you know, have that life that you wanted. And it's hard for a lot of parents as, as you know, as well, and, and others, it's, it's difficult. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm appreciative of all that. So I just try to take it all in. And um, he loves puzzles. He loves books. No surprise. Um, he's just a really wonderful kid with an amazing imagination. And I, I really can't wait to see what life holds for him. And it's it's sometimes I, I can't wait for him to grow up. And sometimes I don't want him to grow up at all. And it feels right. like just yesterday we were in the NICU. But five years has passed by so quickly. And uh, mm -hmm. here we are. Always enjoying each chapter for sure. For sure. Yes. Well, Adam, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great to talk with you. Thanks for sharing your story and, and all the good work that you're doing. And thank you for all of our listeners out there. Enjoy. Thank you for tuning in to the NICU Today podcast brought to you by Today is a Good Day. Learn more at todayisagoodday.org.